Hello and welcome to this podcast produced by the Northern Region of the University and College Union. My name's John Bryan and coming up in this episode I'll be speaking to Chris Robinson. Chris is a caseworker employed by the Union in the Northern Region to support branches and representatives in both further and higher education. Chris has worked for the Union for a number of years and prior to that he was one of our senior representatives at the University of Cumbria. Chris and I will be talking about the basics of handling casework as well as some top tips for representation for those who have got more experience. We hope that you enjoy this episode and please don't forget to like, favourite, subscribe or share this podcast with all those who would find it interesting. Thanks very much for listening to it. Here's me and Chris talking about representing members. I'm joined by Chris Robinson, who is the caseworker for the Northern Region of the University and College Union. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you for having me, John. Oh, it's good to have you here. And it's good to be talking about what representatives do when they have to deal with cases when members come to them asking for advice and I know that's something that you're kind of you've got a lot of experience on and some of the representatives will be listening to this will be quite newly elected after their AGMs so I just wondered if you could kind of start talking to us about some basic things because some people will have members approaching them about issues and have you got some kind of initial kind of guidance for people about what they might do in that situation? Yeah, well, well, I mean, ultimately, it depends on, on what the members approached you with. Um, so in the first instance, um, find out what the issue is. Um, I'll ask to speak to the member in, in, a, in a private setting, uh, somewhere confidential, uh, take a pen and paper uh, and have a conversation with the member. See what the issues are. Um, see if uh, if it's something of a formal nature or something of an informal nature. The thing with casework is it can be literally anything. A member can come with you from an extreme thing like uh, I've got this uh, notice of a disciplinary hearing and I need representation that says I might be dismissed or it might be something not as extreme, which is uh, I've got an issue with my workload, I've raised it with my line manager and that hasn't been addressed. So there's kind of a big spectrum of casework which you can deal with. So in the first instance, um, after you've checked the membership of the uh, individual um, and and seen that they're up to date with the subs and whatnot, have a conversation with them in a confidential area, um, ask them to bring uh, any items which are of uh, importance to the case. So if it's a workload issue, get get them to bring your workload model. Um, If it's a matter, if, if they've been invited to an investigation or a disciplinary hearing, get them to bring that letter or the information which is associated with it, which, which is relevant. Um, and what I also find really helpful, um, especially with cases which are quite complex, is if you've had an initial interaction and it's, it's clear that this is uh, something which is uh, you know relatively detailed, get them to write the timeline of what the issues are that they're dealing with. So if it's an investigation which they're heading into and the investigation is into their conduct in some way, get them to write a timeline of everything leading up to this um, and any issues which they think is of relevance uh, to the process. 
Yeah, I think you're right. There's a real spectrum. I mean, that, that's really good advice in general, because there is a real spectrum of issues that we kind of deal with and that representatives of the union deal with. So, I mean, the issue of workload quite often comes up. And I suppose in FE colleges, one of the issues that people have is they get they say to us, look at my timetable. It's pretty outrageous. I've got far too much on here. And as you say, you know, the first question I say to them is, well, have you raised your yeah. line manager and had a discussion? And that's quite important because I think it's really important for us to understand what they've done about it themselves initially and then what the management response is, because that's when we can begin to help them when they've had the response. So if they say, I'm not happy because I've got four evenings of teaching a week, then we say, well, let's look at the contract. How many evenings can you be asked to teach? Is it down to two evenings a week? And then, you know, what it is, what is it that they've kind of, what interaction have they had with the management? And then we can kind of look at the response that the management have given and take it from there. So let's move on and think about what members might do if they've still got an issue. So they've raised the issue with their line manager. They've had a bit of to and fro in terms of email exchanges or perhaps exchanges face to face or on the phone over a particular concern. I suppose the next thing they'll have to do if they're still not satisfied is to pursue a grievance. And every institution will have a grievance policy of of some shape or form because that's what the ACAS code says that institutions have to have to have so what would you what would you do to kind of talk someone through about how they might pursue a grievance and what are the kind of tips that you might might give to a member and uh, to a representative kind of dealing with a member for the first time with a grievance well, I mean, first off, it's, it's kind of what is the grievance, what is the issue, Let, let's identify that. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you've said, well, this is kind of, it's the last resort. This has been tried to be resolved informally, that hasn't worked. So we'd look at what steps have taken, what's been asked of management, what they have and haven't done. Um, and we'd, 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 we'd write that down, we'd get the grievance policy, we'd sit down with the member and we'd talk them through uh, the grievance policy. Um, and we look at their issue and we would um, formulate a grievance on that basis. So if it was a workload issue, if we want to carry that forward as an example, um, and, you know, we've put forward that, you know, my member is over hours, um, this is the workload model, these are the hours my member is working, and, and uh, despite our objections to that, the member's still working over the hours. So we'd put that in a grievance, it's quite a straightforward grievance, um, we'd highlight what the workload hours are within that grievance. We'd highlight the, the impact this might be having on the member. Perhaps this level of workload is having a detrimental impact on their health and well-being. We'd highlight that within the grievance. Um, and we'd highlight where, we, where we've raised it previously with management and nothing's been done. So, so we'd formulate that. We'd put a grievance together and we would lodge it. Um, and we would head to a grievance hearing should it not be resolved um, prior to a hearing being convened. And I think it's really important, as you said there, to make sure that if you if you are the union representative to actually get hold of the disciplinary, sorry, the grievance policy or procedure, because 
quite often, as you say, it will say that there's an informal stage yeah. and it will tell you, and sometimes it will have a kind of template about what you need to provide. And again, quite often it will say, what is it that you're trying to get out of this grievance process? And you have to identify exactly what that might be. And one of the benefits of, of the grievance procedure is that you are entitled to be assisted and accompanied by a trade union representative and that's one of clearly the benefits of, of being a member of the union yeah absolutely john and, and another um, aspect of it is as well as if, if you feel it hasn't been dealt with your grievance values hasn't been dealt with appropriately you've got a right of appeal also um so therefore um it would go a step further up and someone else would look at the issue you've raised and if it hasn't been dealt with appropriately, there's another opportunity for it to be looked at also. Yeah, and, you know, making that appeal process and going through it does give the opportunity for people higher up the organisation to have a perhaps a different view if you're not satisfied with it. So let's talk about, you know, because I know right at the start you started talking about disciplinaries and investigation meetings. So you may well have, you know, if you're a representative of the union and a member comes to you, it may be that they've been invited to an investigation meeting or it may be a disciplinary hearing. What are the sorts of stages that, that, that both organisations take people through in that process? Can you kind of identify them for us so that people can begin to understand them? So, so by that you mean the investigation, the disciplinary um, and the, the potential appeal? Yeah, yeah, that'd be helpful. Okay, so so normally, if uh, you're going to be subject to disciplinary action, um, an investigation will be convened in the first instance. I say normally because in some instances, this can be um, foregoed um, if the employer thinks that this matter is, um, is quite clear that they might think they don't need to hold an investigation. Uh, but as a trade union representative, I always ask that they do hold an investigation. An investigation, once a member's been called to an investigation, they often panic, as you would if you've been accused of something um, and you're being investigated for that. But the thing to remember in the first instance is this is a fact-finding exercise. Um, if a complaint's been lodged by someone, there's a duty for the employer to investigate that, especially if that complaint is, you know, seen as relatively serious. And heading into the investigation meeting, um, you'd, I mean, I would advise any reps to have a, a pre-meeting with the member, to sit down with the member. And if, depending on what the uh, allegation is, if, if the letter that's been given to the member says something along the lines of, um, you're being investigated in regards to accusations of bullying and harassment, um, of a colleague, then we would sit down, we'd discuss what this, what we think this relates to. Uh, if the colleague's been named or if they haven't been named, we'll, we'll kind of identify where we think this accusations come from. Uh, we'd look for any evidence which would support that our member hasn't been bullying and harassing this person. Um, we would look for any mitigation if we think that there's evidence which identifies that our member has acted inappropriately. Um, and, and we'd get a narrative of, of, of what's gone on here. So it might, in some cases, it might just be a vexatious allegation, um, in which case that's what we put forward in the investigation. Um, if 
the investigation is is moving forward and it's clear that this isn't a vexatious allegation but obviously we provide as much evidence as we can within the investigation to um, undermine the argument which is the allegations rather which are being put forward one of the things which we also should do with the member before we go into the investigation is identify other people who which the investigating officer might want to speak to so there may be people who would support our position that our member hasn't bullied and harassed someone so we'd, we'd signpost the investigating officer uh, to those people we'd say something along the lines of you need to speak to joe bloggs uh, joe bloggs has worked alongside me for however many years and they can verify uh, that these accusations aren't true you we, we may want to provide uh, evidence in the form of emails um, if well, if an incident alleged to have taken place, we might want to provide evidence in the form of witnesses um, and say, well, they were there at the time, ask them what, what they saw or what they didn't see. If uh, CCTV, um, we might want to say, well, check your CCTV. So there are a whole host of things we need to consider. Um, ultimately, we need to get a narrative from the member and we need to look at what evidence we've got um, to support our member's position. I think you've covered quite a lot of ground there, Chris, and that's really good advice for people about how to deal with assisting a member who is facing an investigation. I think one of the things to kind of bear in mind if people listening to this are new to the union and are new to union representing is to check in with either more senior union reps in your branch or come to the regional office for advice because, you know, everyone's everyone has the, the first kind of disciplinary investigation that they help someone with you get more more and more experience and more that you do these things and i think one of the things i also kind of want to remind representatives is that you do have an opportunity to accompany people to these investigation meetings it'll often be written down in the policy and procedure and that's definitely something that you should make sure that you take advantage of Sometimes I think, I mean, and you'll know this, Chris, obviously, but sometimes, you know, that you'll be reminded that your role as a representative is not to answer questions. And that's definitely the case when it comes to the investigation. But there's no harm in kind of just asking for clarification if you're sitting there as a representative and just asking the investigator what it is that they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think one one of the uh, one of the things you can do in an investigation is if you are the representative, you can do a bit of a fishing expedition. So if, if you're not fully informed of what the allegations are, um, then you can do a bit of a fishing say, well, well, who said this? Uh, and try and figure out exactly what the allegations are and look for any information which the investigating officer will give you. Okay, once a investigation meeting has concluded, then a report is often written up. And one of the outcomes of that report might be that a disciplinary hearing needs to be called and the member will get notice of that in a letter. Um, Chris, could you tell us about some of the things that you might want to look for in that letter? What are the sort of things that the letter might say? And if you're a union rep, what are the kind of things where you might want to say right well let's check with the regional office and get some advice on this well one of the things that the letter uh, convened the meet meeting should say is what the possible sanctions are so if the letter um, 
doesn't say um, that there is a, a possibility that the uh, member will be dismissed, then you know that the member's not going to be dismissed at the hearing. However, if it does say one of the potential outcomes of this hearing is that the member will be dismissed or can be dismissed rather, then you, you know that the member could possibly be dismissed. One of the other things which you should receive if you've been uh, given notice of a disciplinary hearing is an evidence pack. Now, this should contain within it all the information uh, which the investigating officer used to um, to arrive at the decision of, to take this to a disciplinary hearing. So it's really important that you look through the evidence pack and you, and you scrutinise it and, and you do that with the member. And just thinking back to the letter and the letter inviting you to, to, to the disciplinary hearing, often the hearing will be called on a date and time which is quite close um, and it may be at a time when is either difficult for the member or difficult for the representative to get to. What are the sort of things that representatives can do in those situations? Well, you, you, well there's, there's a few things you can do. If, if, if there's an issue with the representative um, making that hearing uh, for whatever reason, whether it's a, a teaching or, or, or the union duties at the time, then what you could do is, is get alternative representation. However, what you can also do and what you've got a, a statutory right to do is offer some alternative dates within the next within seven work within five working days rather of the date which is given uh, and say well i can't do the date which is given i'm unavailable however i can do such and such a date which was within five working days and that should be uh, considered by the employer and, and they should accept um, an alternative date if you have to give one and sometimes, and I know that you've kind of come across situations like this, sometimes they'll be very keen to kind of get the hearing over and done with. And I know people have said to me in the past, well, you know, we don't want this lingering over them. We want to get it over and done quite quickly. And that's all well and good if there's not going to be much of a sanction. But clearly it's not well and good if the member's going to either have a final written warning yeah. or if they're going to be dismissed. So I think for union reps who are listening to this and the advice that we're giving get in touch with the regional office about it so we can give a bit of advice you know about the things that that they can do to try to postpone this whenever possible absolutely john and i, and I think um i'm thinking back to when, when i first started representing members as a, as a branch officer when you get a, a member coming up to you you kind of panic you think flame and neck you know this is a the member could get dismissed here this is it's going to be within seven days and, and and you kind of panic and i think the thing to remember as a rep is nothing needs to be that urgent you've got seven days you've got potentially more days if you want to um if you can't attend that date and you want to reconvene the hearing so that the employer's got to kind of oblige you with that um and you've got time to sit down with the member to speak to a regional official to speak to other branch officers if you need to and i think the thing is, you don't have to panic in these situations. You've got time to go over everything and go through everything. And there will be things you don't know. There are things which still come up to me, and I'm sure come up to you, John, which you've got to get a second opinion on, um, even though we've, we've done it for a number of years. So there'll always be things which we don't know, which we need to get a second opinion on. Um, and I think the thing to remember is you're not doing this on your own. 
you, you're part of a, a wider union and sh you should always look to get advice if you need it um, from either other branch reps or, or, or a full-time official. That's good advice, Chris, because I think we always need to kind of check in with others if we're unsure about something and to do it as soon as possible, you know, rather than kind of leave things lingering. I'd always rather know what's going on you know, before someone's dismissed rather than kind of saying after the event, oh, I had a hearing, didn't go too well, and the member, you know, got dismissed. Well, representatives should always come to us if they need to, either go to a senior representative in your own branch or come and get some advice about about what to do um, because, you know, these, these things are important and it's always best to check if you're in the no, absolutely, John. And, and one of the things, and this is a trap which I think a lot of reps fall into, is sometimes they'll hazard a guess at something. So if a member asks a question, they'll, they'll, they'll think they know the answer, and with all the best intention in the world, they'll give the, uh, the member advice, and it might not be completely right. So never hazard a guess. If you don't know anything, just say, um, look, um, I'm not 100% sure on that, uh, but let me get back to you in due course. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know if I can give examples, um, anonymised examples on this podcast, John, but I'm thinking of a specific incident um, where I was um, in a meeting with uh, a rep and some members, and the rep said to the members, uh, don't worry, uh, you're going to be okay. Um, words to the effect of, if this is, you know, we're gonna we're gonna ensure that you don't lose your jobs. Now, this was entirely the wrong thing to say, and completely unhelpful. Um, and and these that kind of way of dealing with members is really problematic. Um, and when whilst it's done with the best of intentions, it can really have a fallback on on the union. So so never hazard a guess. Never make false promises. The way I always phrase it to uh, to members when I'm representing them is, look, these are our arguments. I believe these are the, are the best arguments we've got, and we're going to put these arguments through to the best of our ability, and we're going to argue your cause um, on this basis. And then, you know, the member knows what our arguments are, but at no point will I say, we're definitely going to save your job, or uh, we're definitely going to sort your workload issue out. But I will always say I'll endeavour to do my best to support you with this issue. So, it's, you know, and just in terms of how we phrase things with with members, it's really important to, to consider that. OK, we've covered quite a lot of ground there, Chris, in terms of representing members of UCU. I think I just want to return to some kind of basic things, because, as I said, there'll be a range of people listening in and some of the things, you know, might be kind of at a higher level than people are used to dealing with. So I just want to reiterate a couple of things for, for people. And if there's anything that you want to add in, just, you know, jump in because, you know, these sort of hints and tips people can kind of pick up, you know, uh, as they get more experience. I think the first thing I'd say is that, you know, when you first go in and represent a member, the very act of you being there changes that meeting. It changes the meeting for the benefit of the member and it means that management and HR who are sitting on the other side, it means that they view it as very differently as well. So just sitting there, first of all, changes it. 
once you begin to pick up a pen and paper and write and note things down, that changes it. And then once you begin to ask questions, it changes it even more. And then at other points, when you get more experience, you'll be able to kind of make representations and express points of view. So there, for me, are the kind of uh, hints and tips, you know, that you don't have to kind of run, you know, you need to walk first of all and go through, you know, the initial stages of representing someone and accompanying someone to a meeting. Are there any kind of snippets that you can think of that representatives might need to bear in mind when they're dealing with members of, of UCU, either in a college or a prison or a university or adult ed or anywhere? Yeah, there's a few other things. Um, one of the things which, which you should kind of look at when you first meet the member is how long they've been uh, an employee um, of the institution. So, for example, you get your full employment rights on two years. So if your member's been an employee for over two years, it, it gives them essentially more rights in the workplace. So if your member was to be made redundant and they'd been there 18 months, uh, they wouldn't be entitled to a redundancy payment. However, if they've been there two years or longer, uh, then they would be entitled to a redundancy payment. Uh, in terms of, on, on the subject of redundancies, in terms of figuring out what a member's entitled to in regards to redundancy, there's a redundancy calculator you can find online, which is easy to use, uh, where you calculate your age and your length of service, um, and it'll come up with a figure which will be your entitlement uh, to redundancy pay. Uh, another thing to consider with regards to two years service is that going back to the disciplinary, if your member uh, was dismissed and they hadn't been there for two years, then it's unlikely they could make a claim at an employment tribunal for unfair dismissal. Uh, they could only do that on, on certain uh, on certain grounds, which would be, if, you know, a protected characteristic uh, was 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 the rationale for their dismissal. Um, if they, if, if, or if they were various things, if you're a member, of, if, if, if it's because of your trade union membership, uh, that's why you've been dismissed. And if you can argue that effectively, then you can uh, claim for unfair dismissal under two years. But generally, um, you need to be an employee for two years to make a claim for unfair dismissal. Um, another thing, I think, is is which is really important and something which a lot of reps don't don't really know about um, is subject access requests. So as, as, a, as an employee, um, as a member of the public, you're entitled to the information held on file about you at an institution. Um, and, to, and, and this is inclusive of all emails which have been sent, uh, which, um, which recognize you within those emails. So what you can do is you can submit what's called a subject access request, uh, which will give you that information. So, so if I wanted to submit a subject access request into, into my employer, UCU, and said, I want all um, correspondence which uh, relate to me, uh, then the employer, uh, some circumstances they wouldn't, but in most circumstances, unless there's uh, a reason to withhold that information, which is lawful, they'd, I'd be entitled to all those emails and UCU would have to supply me with them. Uh, and, and members of, if, if you are a member and you think management has, has not treated you well, 
or if you think there's something fishy going on in regards to uh, you being bullied and harassed and you think emails might have been sent in regards to you which would support this you can put a subject access request in uh, to the employer and get that information um, and it's really helpful you would be massively surprised at some of the stuff which comes back in subject access requests and um, you'd be massively surprised um, by what people put on, on work emails so it's it can be a really useful tool to submit a subject access request and get that information that's great that's really helpful advice chris and just to kind of reiterate for union reps who are listening in if you're dealing with a case and you've got a query about it please do make sure that you get in touch with us at the regional office Okay, Chris. Well, thanks very much for coming on and for talking to us. Uh, all the best now. You too, John. You take care. So here's our regular roundup of news and views around the region in both further and higher education. Now, Durham City MP Mary Foy has re-established the all-party parliamentary group Friends of Durham University. The group was first established by Foy's predecessor, Roberta Blackman Wood. Mary Foy will be the chair of Friends of Durham University, with Richard Holden, the MP for North West Durham, Kevin Jones, the MP for North Durham, Paul Howell, the MP for Sedgefield, and Graham Brady, the MP for Altrincham and Sale West, also on the committee. Peter Gibson, the MP for Darlington, will serve as secretary, while Kate Osborne, the MP for Jarrow, will be an officer of the group. Now, Mary Foy, who chairs the all-party parliamentary group, is well known to UCU members at Durham University because of the support that she has shown for our industrial action there. Mary Foy visited our picket lines when members were on strike over the changes to the USS scheme for our pensions, as well as the pay campaign that we've got in higher education. Now at Teesside University, there was an article on the Teesside University website on the 24th of May, which had announced a new partnership. A new partnership between Study Group, a leading provider of international education, and Teesside University. The article says it will provide university preparation programmes at Teesside University's International Study Centre. Now, Teesside University, University and College branch has asked questions about this because Study Group tends to be an organisation which doesn't recognise trade unions for the purposes of collective bargaining. The union branch has asked a whole number of questions of the university and we're waiting to see how the partnership develops and what that means not only for our members, but for students as well. Now, also in Teesside, there's been news at Redcar College. Now, you may well have heard that Redcar has been a recipient of a significant amount of money. The leader of Redcar and Cleveland Council says it will make every penny count after the government confirmed a £25 million regeneration windfall for Redcar from its town deal fund. Now, obviously, there are various people who have welcomed this and it looks like it may well be good news for the college at Redcar as well. Redcar and Cleveland College Principal Jason Faulkner said it was thrilled to benefit from the town deal. Now, elsewhere in UCU, there is a 
industrial action ballot which has opened at a number of colleges across England. Now these include City College Primer, City of Bristol College, City of Lund Liverpool College, Croydon College, Lambeth College, Sheffield College, South Thames Colleges Group, Swindon New College, Truro and Penrith College, Weymouth College, as well as a ballot opening at Capital City College Group over pay, working conditions and compulsory redundancies. You can find out more information about these disputes on the UCU website and it also gives information about how you can send support to those organisations who are in dispute. Elsewhere in the region, there has been industrial action in our prison education establishments, those ones that are run by Novus. After staging an unprecedented two-day walkout at 49 prison and young offender institutions across the entire country on the 11th and 12th of May, in the dispute over COVID-19 health and safety concerns, there was further strike action by prison education members which took place on the 10th of June and another day of action is planned on the 23rd of June. UCU instigated talks at ACAS but they have so far proved unsuccessful in resolving the dispute. Now for those of you who haven't yet written to your members of parliament about the early day motion on prison education, please make sure that you do so as soon as you can. The early day motion, EDM 1536, is about investment in prison education technology. A number of MPs in the region have already supported it. They include the City of Durham MP Mary Foy, Wandsbeck MP Ian Lavery, Easington MP Graham Morris, Ian Mearns, the Gateshead MP, but there are still plenty of others to contact. Please do write to your MP and ask them to support the motion which UCU is trying to get raised in Parliament. Elsewhere in the region, Tynecoast College were in the top 10, the top 10 highest paid college leaders in 2019-2020, coming in 10th with a salary to the principal of £197,000. So that's Tynecoast College in that top 10. However, the income of the college is relatively small compared with some of the largest providers. So the income for Tynecoast College is £34.7 million, but an article in the TES revealed the top 10 are around £80 million and higher. And finally in this section, Middlesbrough College has a number of short courses that are running in July. These are for trade union representatives. There's an employment law update course, 12th to the 14th of July, and a health and safety update course, 19th to the 21st of July. The article on their website says, as society opens up again and more people get vaccinated, we are able to offer two classroom-based short courses for union representatives and health and safety reps to keep them up to date and to refresh their knowledge. If you want to find out more about these courses or to apply for them, you should contact the Middlesbrough College Trade Union Education Centre. Steve Davison is the contact there. S.D.A.V.I.S.O.N. at mbro.ac.uk
www.thepeopleshow.co.uk. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Please don't forget to like, favourite, subscribe or review this podcast in whichever app that you use. You can find more information about representing members and handling casework on the UCU website. There are a number of links that you can go to ucu.org.uk slash caseworkers where there is a guide for UCU representatives on handling casework and there are also a number of smaller pieces of information and guidance at ucu.org.uk slash rep. Also don't forget that there are plenty of resources on the ACAS website ACAS and in particular you might want to look at the code of practices on disciplinary and grievance procedures. Finally, just thanks for listening in and please don't forget to share this podcast with others who might find it of use. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. Thank you.